New community, welcome to our weekly podcast. We are so glad that you're with us this morning or this afternoon or this evening, whenever you were listening. Before we begin with our liturgy this morning, take a few moments, close your eyes, and just center yourself. Ready yourself for God's message for your life today. Take a moment to prepare and then begin listening. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's liturgy and message. Call to Worship Long ago, at various times and in distinctive ways, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. But in these days, we have heard God's voice through His Son, Jesus Christ, who has dominion over all things and through whom all worlds were made. He is the one who sits at the right hand of God, the one we have come to worship. Come tabernacle with us, God, with divine grace that opens the way before us. Come tabernacle with us, Jesus, with your love that never ends. Come tabernacle with us, Spirit, with your comfort and guidance, so that we may follow you into the promised land of God's kingdom and glory. We ask and pray in the name, in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. morning, Newcom. This is Susan Edwards. Let us affirm our faith by reading the Nicene Creed. Focus on the truths captured in this creed as I read. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He has ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life in the world to come. Amen.
Hi, new community. This is Britt. So one of the things we do in the fall is honor our seniors. And what that typically looks like is bringing up the seniors, their parents, and usually one of their leaders at a communal gathering in order to honor and celebrate them. However, given this season, we will be doing all of that this morning via the podcast. And this year, we have one senior named Jack Davis. Jack has been a really important part of our community over the years, and he still is. He will be attending the University of Washington this fall, and we are so excited for him. We've asked Russ and Shannon both to read a letter to him, uh, as well as we compiled a group of messages from our community to send to Jack, and we'll share one with you this morning as well. Jack, we wish you the best with graduating and moving on to college. You will be missed. To our son, Jack, instead of writing a letter, we have chosen to write in the form of a benediction. This is a blessing we are praying over you as you transition from our home to further discover who you are and to chart with God's direction your future in the vast world that surrounds you. We are so proud of you. Jackson, may you wake up each morning with the full assurance that you are deeply loved by God, that you have his approval and can live a life that springs from freedom and love rather than duty or religious obligation. May God be at the center of all you do and the motive behind all your intentions. May you experience the extraordinary kindness of Jesus and may the Spirit be ever present in your life, shaping and guiding you. May you more fully understand the meaning of community, knowing that those you journey with in life are as important as the destination. Seek a community that refines you, challenges you, pushes you to think outside of the box, and is not satisfied at half-truths and vague answers, but pursues honesty and authenticity. And know that this community you have grown up in will always be a safe harbor to return to and a launching pad for the ventures God is calling you into. May you never fear failure as it is the gateway to growth. Treat each failure as an opportunity to learn more and to try again with more creativity. Remember, mistakes will happen, but you serve a God of abundant grace and you have a faith of endless new beginnings. May you follow the example of many of our mothers and fathers of the faith who sought to obey the Lord, but knew with great clarity when the best and highest good was to disobey. May you choose to disobey well. May you stand for the vulnerable and marginalized and seek to put others in their highest good before yourself. May you especially suffer harm and ill repute for the sake of those radically different from yourself. Always be on the side of those God stands with. May God grace you with tears. Their presence means you are being prepared for good that growth will take place if you allow it to germinate within you. And remember, tears can be cathartic and are not a sign of weakness, but of compassion and resolve. 
And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world, enough stubbornness to try to do what others claim impossible, and enough awareness to know that anything accomplished is done through the will and in the strength of Christ. May God bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jack, this is probably not the way anybody imagined that their first year of college would go in the middle of a pandemic. But uh, here you are. I remember the first time I met you, and what stood out to me is how curious you were as a young person and how much you wanted to know about the world, uh, but not only about the world, but also about people. And you had this wonderful heart for getting to know people. And in your curiosity, you expressed also a generosity and a care for other people that really stood out even when you were 11 years old or 12 years old or, or however old you were when I first met you. Um, I really admire that about you. I think it's something that most of us can learn from. And so my prayer for you as you head off into your next adventure is that you will continue to be curious and you will allow your curiosity to create generosity and you'll let your generosity lead to meaningful and lasting relationships. While I wish the situation would be different for you as you head off to college, you are a person that can deal with challenges and adversity. And I know that you are going to thrive. And the reason that you are going to thrive is because that's who you are. So I wish you the best. I look forward to hearing stories about the things that you're learning and the people you're meeting. But most of all, I hope you have a great time growing into the person and into the man that God made you to be. Um, I know I speak for Emma and Johnny and Sarah when I say we, we couldn't love you anymore and we're so excited to see where things go for you. Best of luck, Jack. Good morning, new community. It is so good to have you here this morning on the podcast. And uh, speaking of good things, last week we had the awesome opportunity to be together in a unique way with our video service. And that video connection was such an awesome, awesome time. Uh, it, there was something unique about just being all present in the same moment, able to interact with each other. I loved all of the interaction on the website and even loved the twinning comments. The fact that Kevin and I looked identical in the video. I will have you know that that was entirely unintentional and yet at the same time incredibly awesome. Uh, I think over the course of the 10 years plus that we've been working together, uh, I can vaguely remember about four or five times that we wore basically the same outfit on a given Sunday, uh, very unintentional. And uh, it just so happened that the first ever video service that we would do would be one in which we uh, were twinning. And uh, so I've even been thinking a little bit about that since uh, Sunday and have thought about investing in a pair of glasses just to kind of finish off the attire that even though 
I don't need them, that if I put them on, it would kind of take things to a whole another level. Also, uh, just have it be known that um, I take the twin compliments, um, you know, the, the suggestions that we're twins as a bit of a compliment. Uh, to be six years older and uh, just slightly less defined and yet to be labeled a twin, you know, that's not too bad. I think I'll take it. Um, so many of you have uh, provided great feedback on the video service. I will say this, we are moving now in light of that feedback to a one time a month video format. Our goal will be to have the first Sunday of every month be a time where we can collectively be together. Uh, we can uh, stream the video and uh, be present together in worship in a unique way. And uh, then in the in-between weeks, we continue to um, do the podcast. This will allow, I think, for uh, incredible connection with each other on a monthly basis and yet allow for some of the flexibility that people have uh, suggested over the last little uh, while that has been really helpful for them. The ability to listen to the podcast uh, whenever is available for them. And so this allows for both connection and flexibility. And then over the next several months, we will just continue to evaluate uh, the situation and look into the new year and, and see uh, see if we make any additional changes. But for now, uh, we're going to look at first Sunday of every month being a time for us to be connected via the video. The other thing I wanted to mention before we jump in, uh, if you saw the new community Instagram this week, you will have noticed an update on the Petersons. I mentioned them a couple weeks back. The Petersons are moving here from Portland to join uh, our team and uh, to be a part of our community. And they will arrive this next week, and then we'll kind of transition and begin on October 1st. And so if you look on the Instagram, you'll be able to get to know their family a little bit more. Um, just be praying for their arrival. We are excited and thrilled to have them on the team and to begin uh, their time with us. And so um, and be praying for them as they transition. With all of that said, as the introduction, I want to jump right in. We are in the third week of the series, Distant Cousins and Weird Uncles. And uh, if you remember, the first week we were in the book of Hosea, and we talked about breaking up the fallow ground, this idea that we are uh, to prepare and cultivate our hearts in a way that allows God to move, and we talked about the idea of seeking revival. Then uh, in the second week, Kevin and I spoke about Joel and the idea of rend your hearts and not your garments, that there actually has to be true, genuine repentance and not just outward signs of repentance or just pretending, going through the motions, but rather a life committed to repentance. And then today we're going to look at the book of Amos. If you did not have a chance to watch the video that was sent out on Wednesday from the Bible Project, I would encourage you to right now put me on pause, stop, go back to that email, uh, go online, watch the video from the Bible Project about the book of Amos, and then come back and finish the podcast. Now, I assume that you're back. Um, hopefully that gave you an overview that's essential for where we're headed 
today. Uh, and what we've been doing in this series is asking God to give us prophetic words, prophetic visions for our culture, for our church, and for our very lives. And the book of Amos is uh, a fantastic book that I think has much to share with us today. Um, I'm often asked the question, how relevant to today are the prophets? Or does the Old Testament really matter for today? I mean, I think those are great questions. And I'm going to leave it up to you to decide if the context of Amos really relates to us today in 2020. I want to describe a little bit of the context and allow you to determine if it's relevant. So nationally speaking, uh, the people had forsaken God. They were led away from worshiping God and worshiping only Yahweh to worshiping other gods. Specifically, they worshiped the gods of sex and war and weather. Now, that would be like if there was a nation that no longer valued the ways of God, but instead had idols that kind of substituted for God. And those idols would be sex, an overemphasis on the body, a longing for passionate lust. It would consume the society. It would be in all of its shows, in its books, its advertisements. There would be an unhealthy obsession with sex. Not only that, there would be war, that the country, the nation would worship power, that it longed to be the most dominant and most powerful force, that it would be willing to go to great lengths to, to maintain that dominance, no matter what the cost. It would also be as if this nation cared about the god of weather. Now you might say, why weather? Well, weather for the people produced crops. Why do crops matter? Because they produce wealth. So it would be like a nation that worshipped the economy, that it made its decisions based on the stock market or on wealth, that it put its trust in the currency or the dollar, if you will, above God. So imagine if you were a part of a nation that instead of worshiping God, worshiped sex and power and money. That it was all about the economy and all about like might and strength and all about lust. So Amos is speaking into this culture, but he's also speaking about its leader, the leader of the northern kingdom. Now, many at the time considered the king their worst king ever. He ignored the ways of Yahweh. He only focused on himself and his kingdom. He was all about building his empire. And specifically, a leader that really was rebuked for three things. He was rebuked for injustice. So creating systems of imbalance and inequality. He was rebuked for his neglect of the poor, having no value for the marginalized, considering people of wealth or power more significant in overlooking the poor. 
and then a disregard for the outsider or the foreigner. It would be as if such a king existed in our time with no regard for the poor, no care for the marginalized, those different than the majority culture. This king would actively work against such people. And this was the leader of their time. So, this is the culture of the time. This is also the focus of the people being on sex and power and economy. And they had a leader who was uh, incredibly unjust, neglected the poor, and despised the outsider. And so Amos speaks into this context. And it is my hope that this context might in some way relate to ours, that it might in some way allow us to receive a prophetic word for today from the book of Amos. Let me pray, and then we will jump into what I believe is Amos's criticism and then what we're called to do about it. Let's pray. God, we want to hear from you. We want your prophetic words. I pray that you would remove distraction, uh, that you would remove me from the situation, uh, and that you would allow your word to speak to us, that you might challenge us from this prophet, and that you might call us to be your people in a unique way. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if I was to boil Amos's criticism down to one big idea that had uh, maybe a couple uh, examples of that criticism, I would say that the, the, the primary criticism of Amos was that the people were guilty of forsaking God. They were guilty of forsaking God. And that was evidenced by really two things, religious hypocrisy and a neglect for others. So they were guilty of forsaking God, which resulted or was evidenced in religious hypocrisy and neglect for others. First off, hypocrisy. He's speaking to the people in chapter 5, verses 21 to 23, and he says this, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I will take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Yea, though you offer me your burnt offerings and meal offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take those away from me, the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your music. Now, this should sound familiar because it echoes the same kinds of things that other prophets are saying. If you remember from last week in Isaiah 1, I despise your worship. I don't want your prayers. Stop burning sacrifices. Don't go through the motions. Right? This is the pattern of the prophets, that religion and ritual do not matter to God. In fact, he says he hates it. He despises it. So it should make us ask the question, what does matter to God? And I think the answer is the treatment of others. So what Amos prophesies about is he's speaking against the wealthy for their lack of concern for the poor and their neglect. So not only are they hypocritical, but they neglect the poor. 
he says this in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, where he kind of like just shoots straight to the issue. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes, that they trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. Oh, man. Could you imagine getting that rebuke? That you sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes, and that you trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth. But he doesn't stop there. In chapter 4, verse 1, he gives, Amos gives this graphic picture of wealthy women in the society. And he says this, Hear this word, you cows. Definitely not an endearing term. Hear this word, you cows, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to their husbands, bring that we may drink. Then in chapter 5, verse 12, speaking of corruption, he says, I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. And finally, in chapter 8, verses 4 to 6, you see this religious hypocrisy. You see this love for wealth. It says this, Hear this, you who trample upon the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the epaph small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. See, this is not just neglect. This is abuse. This is deceit. Unfair scales. They're saying in this passage, let us make the amount of the purchased item small, while at the same time making the shekel or the money great. So basically, the price goes up while the quantity and the quality go down. This isn't just profit margin. This is like gouging the buyer. This is a systemic problem. This is not just one person who's treating some person unfairly or one person neglecting the poor. This is a system of corruption. And what you notice here in this text is a total disconnect between their worship of God and how they treat people. So you have this incredible hypocrisy. Like we want to worship God, we want festivals, we want feasts, we want to play the religious game, and at the same time, we want to completely neglect, and not just neglect, but abuse the poor. So Amos, in many ways, is a devastating book for people who want to give token worship but neglect others or want to just play the religious game but do not have their actions and their concerns for justice trickle into the very lives in any way. So what Amos is, is doing is he has an uncompromising demand for justice. 
He's saying he's that unwilling to allow worship to continue that covers over an unwillingness to care for the poor and needy. So his criticism is you have forsaken God and you've done that by hypocrisy and you've done that by the neglect and the abuse of the poor and an unwillingness to care. And so Amos kind of caps off his assault against the greedy Israelites with these famous words. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a perennial stream. Amos 5.24. So Amos is screaming out, let, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a stream. Justice and righteousness rather than fancy festivals and offerings and songs and harps. No more religious showmanship. Let justice roll. And I want to suggest for ourselves two ways that we can allow justice to roll. The first one that Amos points to is true worship of God that is intimately connected to justice. So true worship. In chapter 5, verse 6, he says this, Seek the Lord and live. Right? It's a call by Amos to say that, that you should have true worship. Seek the Lord, worship the Lord, and live. That there is hope in this book, and that hope is alluding to Jesus. So seek the Lord and live. But here's what I love about it, that, that Amos is saying conversion is more than just changing your mind about God. It means exchanging a love of comfort for a love of goodness and justice. Because Amos, right after he says in verse 6, seek the Lord and live, he says in verses 14 and 15, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So first he says, seek God and live. And then just a minute later, he says, seek good and live. See, in order for true worship, in order for justice to flow, Right relationships must be connected to right actions that combat injustice. Right? Right relationships must be connected to right actions that combat injustice. He's asking us to establish justice at the gate. See, a real relationship with God transforms how you treat people. Real worship of God transforms how you treat people. You cannot disconnect the two. How amazing would it be if new community and all of the churches in this city were full of people who didn't care if they lived in comfort, but people who hated evil and loved good and devoted themselves to establish justice at the gate. 
Now you might ask yourself, what does it mean to have justice established at the gate? What does that even look like? Let me suggest that to have justice established at the gate, it would look like a society without oppression. That there would be no more exploitation, no more small print in the contracts, no more price manipulating, no more false advertising, no, may, no more crappy workmanship, that every wage would be fair, that every contract would be good, that every agreement would be kept, that when everyone strives for the advancement of their neighbor and not just themselves, then justice would be established at the gate. Now, this, I think, would be because the church has exerted such profound effect on the heart and the soul of the city that men and women are moved to compassion, that when contracts are broken or refugees are mistreated or prices are inflated or the poor are neglected or the people that live on the streets are, are treated with disrespect, that the church would have exerted such a profound effort on the heart and the soul of the city that people would be moved to compassion if they saw those things. And if I'm to be honest, I'm not believing that the local government will fix this. I'm not believing that the national government will fix this. If there is one group on earth that has the potential and has the mission to be about letting justice be established at the gate, it is the church of Jesus Christ. If we are not wholeheartedly engaged in this indispensable spiritual work, no one else is going to do it because no one else has the message of redemption. And then, if no one does it, justice will not be established at the gate. Which takes me to my second idea. That not only do we need justice established at the gate, not only do we need to connect our worship of God with our work toward justice, but I also believe that we cannot be people who settle for indifference. We cannot be people who settle for indifference. Bonhoeffer said, to be indifferent or do nothing is to be complicit with the evil. Let me say that again. To be indifferent or do nothing is to be complicit with the evil. It means this, that, that if you do nothing, if you sit back and watch, if you equally neglect the poor or overlook it or say it could be somebody else's problem, then you are as guilty as those who exploit the poor. You are as guilty of those who hurt the marginalized. You are as guilty of those who disregard the foreigner. And Barton asked this question, is indifference really a sin, some might ask? Well, only if you take seriously the weight of God's instructions to be kind and tenderhearted towards one another, to love one another fervently to listen and bear with one another, 
to speak the truth in love, to confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed, to forgive as we have been forgiven, to welcome the stranger, to share our bread with the hungry, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Only if you believe that in Christ there is no longer Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, male nor female, for all of us are one in Christ. None of these attitudes, actions, and behaviors emerge from indifference. They emerge from hearts inflamed with passion for God and for other human beings, guts that move, that literally turn over with compassion for the plight of those whose basic life experiences have been different than our own, and minds attuned and committed to spiritual principles that make life more human for all. Indifference is a sin. We cannot be people that allow the plight of the poor, the treatment of the foreigner, the disrespect of the marginalized to do anything other than move us. We cannot be people who settle for indifference. I want to close by sharing a short story. The short story is... um, it's called The Handsomest Drowned Man in the World. I don't know if you're familiar with the story. It was written by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Uh, it's a short story written in 1968, again entitled The Handsomest Drowned Man in the World. It's a story about a village in Colombia. and It's an, obviously a mythical story, um, but it's about a village in Colombia that has... Uh, people that um, are relatively small in size and small in stature, but they're a part of a small fishing village um, with about 20 or so odd-looking wooden houses. Uh, they're alongside of uh, a beach kind of overlooking the sea. And one particular day, the children are playing by the sea, and uh, they come across a man who had drowned. Uh, this is a tall man, um, not from their area. Uh, he uh, kind of had floated, had brushed up alongside of the shore with a bunch of debris upon him from the sea. And the children spotted him and discovered the corpse and uh, alerted the townspeople. And they decided that a small funeral must be had um, where they would either throw the man off the cliff Uh, which they did often because they had so little land that they didn't have traditional burials, or they would prepare him for burial at the sea in some way. Um, And so what they did is they they brought him uh, to the village, to the center of the village, and began to prepare his body for the funeral. And uh, they went around to neighboring villages and tried to determine if those villages knew the drowned man. This story goes on to describe how they could not find another village that would claim him. And so they felt like it was their responsibility to bury him. And at first, and this is a man who was too tall to fit in any of their houses, 
Um, he was just so much different looking than them, did not fit in. And so they removed the seaweed and the, the mud and they wiped his face off. And the women who were preparing his body observed that he was handsome. Uh, the women were attracted to him. They dreamed of how wonderful this man must have been. And eventually, uh, as they're kind of fawning over him and describing him and taking care of him and fixing him up and getting him ready for the funeral, an older woman in town declared that he had to have a name. Since they didn't know who he was, he was a stranger, they would name him Esteban. And after a short period of resistance by some of the other uh, women, they finally agreed that that would be his name. And so they started to imagine and dream of how powerful Esteban must have been. And then they decided that uh, since nobody had clothes that would fit him because they was too tall and that uh, all of their pants were too short and their shirts were too small, they figured he had to have a good outfit. And so... The women took sympathy on the man and, and began to, um, to weep for him. And they decided to begin to put together great clothes. And, and, and the more they talked about it, the more elaborate and beautiful the clothes had to be. And then because they didn't know that he had any relatives, they decided in preparation that they needed to have people donate decorations and they would, uh, they would make him look really great, and um, they would go out of their way to provide things for his funeral. And at first, the men grew annoyed. They were frustrated at the, the, their wives' elaborate measures for what they would call a stranger, an outsider, a foreigner. And uh, Esteban's face was revealed to the men, and what they saw instead of handsomeness was a humble character. And so the women went and got flowers from neighboring towns and villages, and they brought those back for this elaborate funeral. And because Esteban, they didn't want him to be buried as an orphan, uh, they chose a mother and a father who would be uh, from among the best of their people. And they would adopt him as their son, and then he would have uncles and cousins and aunts and nephews. And everyone wanted to be a part of it so much so that everyone eventually in the whole town was related to Esteban. And instead of burying him as they typically would by throwing him off, of, um, off the cliff or putting an anchor on him and letting him go to the bottom of the sea, they realized that they wanted to have a special celebration, so they set him on a boat and, um, and sent him out to sea at night. And they wanted to let him go in that way because then it would allow him, if ever, to return to them one day. And after Esteban was buried at sea, the village decided in Esteban's memory to make their doors wider. And they would search for springs that he would have liked and to paint their houses with bright colors and to plant flowers and to imagine that one day a ship would pass by and it would be a cruise ship filled with people and the captain of it would point to their village and say that this was the village that used to be Esteban's home. 
And so this small town began to transform the very way they lived simply because they welcomed the stranger. The man who was marginalized, the man who really was insignificant, suddenly became valued. He was, they were moved to compassion. They created the most splendid funeral ever. And what happened was the people's lives were filled with imagination. My prayer is that we would create room in our imagination. That we would seek the foreigner, the orphan, the widow. That we would not overlook or neglect the poor or the homeless. That we would create enough room in our imagination that we would allow justice to roll. That we would not be a people of hypocrisy, but that we would be a people who let justice roll and righteousness come like a river. May God make us people who imagine others like Esteban. May God give us prophetic imagination. New community, let us leave you with this benediction. Now, go forth from this moment with renewed inspiration to do the work of God. In the living of our days and the use of our gifts, may we not grow weary of doing good. May we speak for the voiceless, feed the hungry, heal the broken, and may we establish equity so that justice can roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Go in peace with love for our neighbors. Amen.